This episode is sponsored by Faith, Hope, and Connection, a 30-day devotional for adoptive and foster parents. So if you are a foster or adoptive parent feeling like you need some more hope for this really complex journey, or you're feeling really discouraged or misunderstood, you're going to want to jump into this book that has real, often raw stories from adoptive and foster parents in the trenches. It has scripture and faith-filled hope pointing you to Jesus and really honest reflections to speak courage to your soul and remind you that you are in fact not alone. This devotional has contributions from 30 authors, all foster and adoptive parents, who offer a window into their own lives and families. You're going to recognize yourself time and time again in their words. Faith, Hope, and Connection, a 30-day devotional for adoptive and foster parents, is truly a treasure trove of wisdom and grace for foster and adoptive families. You can grab your copy from Amazon. It comes in paperback or Kindle version. Search for Faith, Hope, and Connection, or head to the show notes for this episode for a quick link. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 97 of the Adoption Connection podcast. This week, we have a special guest, Maria Hansen-Quine, who is a friend of ours. She is going to share with us her story of how she built her family through adoption. So Maria is married to her husband, Sam. They live in Arizona, and they have nine beautiful and diverse children. She refers to her kids as precious jewels because she passionately believes that children are sacred gifts from God. Um, Seven of their children came to their family through adoption, and two were born to them. Sam is also an adult adoptee, which makes for an even more interesting conversation. And Maria so believes in the value of children that she has devoted the past 22 years of her life to working with children from hard places. Currently, she's working as an inner city school counselor. And her experience with her own family and as a counselor has led her to write a book with her daughter called Be Be Different and Be Kind, a story about diversity. And we'll have that in our show notes. But um, I think you're really going to enjoy this this book for children and for educators and parents who are teaching children about diversity. And this is actually the second time that Maria has been on our podcast. She was also our guest in episode 80, where we talked about pandemic schooling, which is still a very relevant conversation. So let's jump into your conversation with Maria. Hello, Maria. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Hi, Lisa. It's really good to be talking with you this morning. We were fortunate enough to actually see each other in person at the Refresh Conference, which ended up being canceled after we were there, which was really, really unfortunate. But we also got a lot of time to talk together. And I I did so much. It was really, really sweet. It was a sweet time it was. in the midst of the crazy, right, of the right. world that we're in. But, right. And at this yeah. time that we're doing this interview, you know, we're all a few weeks into quarantine and most of us are schooling our kids at home, which is a real shock for a lot of people. So there's there's a lot going on. So sure. I want you to start out by just sharing who you are and share your story with us. Okay, sounds good. And kind of like we talked, that's a big question for me, right? So my name's Maria. (laughs) Start with that. And um, I am married and and have been married for 
almost 24 years, I think is kind of what we're going on. And um, my husband and I met in college and in terms of adoption, um, even before we got married, we, we said, we're going to adopt one child and we're going to have one biological. And so that was the plan that God really had put on both of our hearts. Um, even for me as a young 20 year old, I had already worked a lot with kids in foster care and kids with trauma and mother Teresa was my hero. So I was like, you know, I could do, I can do one, like, you know, not, um, people don't have more than two kids. I'm not going to have more than two kids. <laughs> and I know, and my husband, uh, Sam is an adult adoptee. So we both, you know, when we kind of merged, um, that was like just a unified heart that we both shared. And so really cool. Our first adoption, um, we adopted first and then had a biological son three years later. And I would say like, that was, I was like, this, this is perfect. This is like what I imagined my life would look like. The really cool thing though about our first adoption is that it had God's fingerprints all over it. And there's so many, many, many details to it where I saw God so directly um, direct our steps and um, I can get choked up just thinking about it, honestly, still, and she's our oldest daughter, and she'll be 18 this year, and I could still, I could feel my tears, <laughs> and I've shared this so many times, but the short story is, is that essentially, in the weekend, we became parents, and we, so we were living in New Jersey at the time, and um, had made plans to move back to Washington State, which was where we thought we would spend the rest of our lives living because we thought we are West Coast people. Why would anybody live anywhere else? No offense to anybody <laughs> else. But, but that was um, that was kind of what was on our heart. We had gone to New Jersey. We thought for me to um, go back to school, go back to graduate school. I have a clinical social work degree, master's degree. But God had so many other things planned for that time. And um, it was during that time that our daughter was born. And so we had made plans to move back. I had given notice at my work. We were renting. We had told our renter we're moving back. We had bought tickets to Europe. And then literally um, on a Tuesday, we were uh, talking to some friends who they had kids. And we used to babysit their kids for them so they could go on date nights. And their two daughters were adopted. And so we had in passing like six months earlier said, you know, if the birth mom, we knew the birth mom was pregnant. If she decides to give up this baby for adoption because her life was still very much the same as it was um, with the twins, we said we, we would adopt this baby. And so on a Tuesday, they called us and said, she's having this baby in a, in a couple weeks and she's thinking that she would like to give this baby up for adoption. And we were like 28 year olds. I mean, we'd been married for five years already. We, you know, we were kind of living the life for some, some would think we were living the life. Right. And so we, they said that to us, but we were like, yeah, whatever. Like that's not going to happen. Right. we got all these plans. Right. So literally on a Friday night. So like four days later, we did nothing like, um, we went to babysit them. We had, we scheduled a babysit them. We walked in the door and the, they were like, you'll never believe it. The mom had the baby and she wants to meet you tomorrow. Oh, wow. Like, now, had tomorrow. you guys, had you done we, anything? We, did you have a home study? Nothing? <laughs> nothing. 
nothing, nothing. So we were like, yeah, like, okay. And we just, we, we didn't know where it would take. Right. And, um, the mom lived three hours away. And so Sam and I just felt like we like God's put adoption on our heart. This, we, we have to walk this out. And I always say that this is probably the one adoption decision that we didn't have a lot of conversation or wrestle with God about. Right now there, we did like, there was certainly moments in it, but the, uh, were the others, it was like months of wrestle. But mm-hmm. so we then quite literally, like this is all quite literally the next morning we drove three hours and met the mom at the hospital. And we spent the whole day with her and we, and I, for the pretty much the whole day held my, what would become my daughter. Right. And so at the end of the day, and again, we didn't know, like, um, I mean, how do you know, like Mm -hmm. what is going on or what's going to happen? And she was also adopted and she also had a brother who was adopted from South Korea. So the connection points. And so she just really had a lot of trust in us. And then also because we were friends, that was a really, really, of course, right. A really big mm-hmm. thing to her. So at the end of that day, she said, I want you to, I get out of the hospital tomorrow. I'm, I'm discharged. I want you to have her tomorrow. Wow. Wow. So literally within a weekend, we became parents, like literally our world got interrupted, our world. And we became parents. I didn't even feel like I could hold a newborn baby <laughs> and I didn't get any prep time right um and so and I have to say too another really the the thing that I and I said I was going to have two kids the the thing that I always kind of wrestled with for probably all of my 20s into my early 30s was I'm going to have two kids and my life's going to look a certain way right and honestly Lisa like even as Sam and I got married because I was almost 30 before I had my first I was like, do I even want kids? Right. And I did have this, like, um, that's like, I've got all these other things I want to do. Right. I've got these ideas of, of my life of how I want it to be. And I don't even know if I want to be a mom, but I feel like I'm supposed to be, I feel like this is what's expected of me. Mm-hmm. So, and you know how many kids I have. Um, yeah. <laughs> why, why don't you just mention that here? <laughs> yeah, I have nine, nine. And so, but that was a real struggle uh, for me. And the beautiful thing about that, and so I call my kids jewels. And I do, and, and it's taken me a while to figure out where that came from. And I do feel like it came in that moment. I'm going to cry again. We haven't even started. I'm going to cry. And on. <laughs> It was a Saturday on that Saturday in the hospital when I was holding my daughter, I did hear the Holy Spirit say, she is, she will be one of the best gifts I ever give you. Mm. So I did hear that. And that's kind of, so that, that was in the midst of, oh my gosh, is this really going to happen? I did hear God say that. And so I think, and so my thinking around her as a mom of one, one sweet, precious jewel was she's a sacred gift from God. And that was, and I, and I, he kind of gave me this picture. It might sound crazy to some of you where he like handed her literally from heaven, handed her down to me. And it was this sweet gift that he was entrusting with me. And so I, I share that because I was so again, so against like, do I want to be a mom? Like kind of, kind of a nuisance. They're going to interrupt my life. Right. And so really the sweetness of God to be like, 
this and so we used to call her sweets and we still call that call her that and it came out of this she will be one of the sweetest gifts I will ever give you. That was how I first became a mom, right? So, wow. <laughs> so in the sweetness of all of that, I was like, yes, okay, one adopted. Three years later, because who has kids close together? Like I, <laughs> I <laughs> so uh, three years later, we had our son biologically, and we thought, this is this is it. This is yeah, we're set, right? I know that you added more children to your family through adoption and also through the birth of another child, but let's fast forward to when Jax and Julia came home. I am very passionate about um, thriving and really believe that God has plans for all of us to thrive, right? Even in the season that we're in right now. And so it was another few years later where God again started stirring our heart for adoption and um, he, he gave me the word grace and said that your next child, your next jewel will be, their life will be defined by grace. So I thought it was a girl and it was, it was like a, I remember it again. It was like a Tuesday scrolling through my, um, my Facebook page. I was not even on Instagram then. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) And God, literally, I saw this picture of a little girl and God said, she's your daughter. That's your daughter. And I, it was like, I saw her and she looked familiar to me. And so we began a process for her and, and our kids were very much so, I mean, it's so amazing the way that God works if we let him. And that's not to say that things are easy, but they're, they're good in the midst of sometimes really being hard. And so we started that paperwork process for her. And uh, we called her Julia, J-E-W-L-I-A. And I wanted to call her Jewel. And our kids, my kids were like, we're all Jewels, mom. You can't call her that. Mm-hmm. And But the J-E-W-L-I-A, Julia Grace is what we called her. Because we thought she was our, she was our Grace child. She's who God mm-hmm. was talking about. And he was talking about her, mm-hmm. but he wasn't just talking about her. No, I can, I can, you can probably see it. Um, yeah. I can feel it in my throat. Mm-hmm. Um, so during that time, our kids started saying, we should adopt a boy too. Why are we just adopting one? We're going to China. We know, mom, we know there's lots of little boys waiting there. And we were like, they are crazy. Our kids have lost their mind, but they kept it up. And so after a few months of, of starting a paper process, Julia. Um, we were almost at that point where, where our home study was done and then all the paperwork was sent off. And we were still like, oh my gosh, we don't know. And miraculously, I mean, I also see that this is God's detail because for about a year, China allowed, it's crazy, two non-biologically rated kids, if they had really high needs, into the same family. So we were in that one year time frame and our adoption agency typically would say no. And they told us very clearly, we, this is, this might be China's policy, but this is not necessarily our policy. And same with our social worker very clearly said, but then they said, but we'll do it for you. (laughs) So, (laughs) so we, we were praying about it and, um, just back and forth and wrestle with God and wrestle with God. And, you know, we, you and I met at refresh and I have so many stories of where God would speak to me through different things in my life. 
when I would go back to refresh um, every year. And so that year, I remember Sam and I were like, we already have seven kids. Like, when we were really praying through, like, who, who, first of all, we, we don't, we maybe know a few other families that have that many kids who has like nine, right? Cause we were praying about a possible little boy. And I remember going to the speaker uh, dinner at the end of refresh, you know how we do for the breakout yeah. speakers and the, yeah. yeah. And we all sat down and we sat down at a table, not intentionally. And the other two family couples had like, one had like 17 kids and the other one had nine and God in his grace and perhaps humor was like, here you go. Here's some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we were able to kind of pick their brain. And um, also in that weekend, um, the adoption agency who they knew we were wrestling with this, we were having conversations back and forth. They sent us a picture of who would become our son and you know, they, he had lost one eye to cancer already, um, in China, but it was retinoblastoma and retinoblastoma, that's the type of cancer. It's not typically aggressive. It's normally very easeable, easy to manage. It's, uh, normally does not return. Um, that's not typical. And so we thought, okay, yeah. Okay. God, this is like, we heard God calling us to him and we were like, okay, yeah, we can do this. Like, he just lost one eye. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is our perspective. And we can manage that. And, and God, we hear you trusting, calling us. We will trust you in this. And it was about three months later that the adoption agency called us and said, his cancer is back. His cancer is back in the other eye. Like, what do you want to do? And I remember um, the person who called us, we'd had a long relationship with, she was like, sobbing and trying to compose herself and I um Sam and I at first both said we we can't do that we can't do that and um we both spent a few hours praying separately and in that time God to both of us said he's yours I've called him I've called you for him Mm -hmm. and I remember calling Sam and being like um so I feel God's kind of change, thinking he's going to be like, uh-uh. And him thinking the same thing about me. And in that time, God had changed both of our hearts. And so we did a medical expedite, which I didn't even know those existed. And a few months later, um, Jax came home and Julia came home. They both got to come home. And um, God in his sweetness, we had the summer. Um, there's so many stories involved, but we had the summer uh, without any cancer and then the cancer came back again so this is now the fourth time or so for jacks already and um the the team didn't expect his cancer to be aggressive because typically cancer retinoblastoma is not aggressive so they treated it with a super incredible type of chemo where it's called inter-artery where they would put chemo literally through his um through the like his hip area and it would travel all the way up to the eye and it would directly go into the eyes. So the side effects were really minimal to our shock. I mean, really, we, we found out that the cancer treatments were not working. And again, there's like a connection point with refresh because um, we had done, I don't know, it's hard time frame sometimes, right? Like eight months of inter-artery chemo and we were feeling done. We were like, how much longer can we do this? Mm-hmm. 
all of his treatments were in Seattle. And so he had weekly appointments and then just once, once a month, um, it, now it sounds like just once a month, but at the moment it didn't. Um, we would go and he would have the intra-artery chemo and then spend a night or two in ICU. And so the impact on our family, the impact on our work, um, all of that, right, was, um, was just a lot. And so I remember coming, again, somehow refresh happened to be like a point there. And I remember coming to that weekend just kind of, a, a mess and emotionally um, just broken and struggling with like um, just feeling weary with everything that was going on. And um, I remember God just so intentionally met me there that weekend and just, and it wasn't even through um, any specific speaker per se. It was through like the worship and just him restoring me. I do remember our friend Darlene really intentionally praying for me mm -hmm. and spending time with me and God just kind of honestly using her to like somebody to rub up against and some kind of to speak that's going to sound weird, but to, to like just restore. And so I remember leaving that weekend feeling like, okay, we can finish the end of this chemo. Like, and so we thought that God was and both Sam and I that weekend just kind of felt restored and felt like we can finish. We thought we were, he was preparing us to like finish well. And really what he was doing was preparing us for what was ahead. And mm -hmm. we had no idea. And sometimes I give the analogy of that. I thought I was standing on top of a mountain, right? Like, like we, had, we were finished. We had a, a couple more treatments left. Um, and instead, God was preparing us for the darkest valley that we would ever walk through. The next or one or two treatments after refresh. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember walking out of the hospital and I was carrying Jack's and uh, he had this polka dot blanket that he still has. And he was wrapped in it and he, he had just been really struggling more so than usual. And I remember carrying him and walking out and talking to him. You've been to Seattle Children's. They have it many at, times. Yeah, many times. They have yeah. a statue. They have that giraffe statue. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember walking out, and I was trying to distract him, and I was trying to, like, just something was going on. And I walked over to the statue, and I was like, "Hey," because we had seen that before. You know, talking to him about the statue and pointing it out to him, and he said, "Mom, I, I can't see it." And that was the point where. Um, his vision never came back after that moment. You know, God in his tenderness, you know, I'm doing some writing. So yeah. some of this is from, there's clarity in some of these moments we got, because God has revealed these, some of these stories to me later. There's so many more stories, but just a couple of years ago, God, uh, I, now I'm going to like full on cry. <laughs> it's okay. But, yeah. The people listening to this, all you listeners out there, I know that we understand the tenderness of this story and your love for your kids and for the Lord. It was really a sweetness. I wrote it all out. So I actually don't, but I, cause I feel like I was one of my other kids in this, but God essentially revealed to me that the last face my sweet boy saw before he lost his vision was mine. Mm. And he didn't, he didn't show that to me until a couple of years ago when I started really I've heard God ask me to start writing and I've asked, he's asked me to write a book. And so it was in that process that he showed me 
revealed to me kind mm-hmm. of that moment. And that was such a gift to my heart. Mm-hmm. And um, we went home thinking because Jax had lost part, uh, part of his uh, sight just partially at, through some of the other t- chemo treatments. And so we thought, this is just another side effect. It's going to come back. Mm-hmm. It did not cross our mind that his vision would forever be gone. And we didn't even tell the doctors about it right away because we thought this is just the normal, right? And so after like about a week or so of being home, we were like, maybe, maybe we should let them know. Like this, this seems like it's not coming back. We, we called the doctors and um, told them what had happened. And they, they also thought, oh, yeah, it's probably just, you know, it's okay. We're, you're scheduled to come in next week. We will, we will look at it then. You're right. It probably is just the normal. But the other thing they did is our head doctor, who tried to retire, um, this was early spring, and he had kind of semi-retired and had planned to retire many times um, during these next several, several months, um, they emailed him. He was in Italy on a trip and they emailed him and told him what had happened. And the moment he got that email, he called and said, you have him come in the next day. I don't know if you've ever had a doctor cry on you. I, I have two. when we lost Calcutan. Yeah. Yeah. There's something like, right. It's, 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 not an experience that we don't ever expect our doctors to cry on us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, we went in that day, they did a lot of different tests and we had two separate doctors cry. And what, what they learned had happened is that the cancer had spread down his optic nerve and was hanging outside his brain. Mm-hmm. So kind of the wall that goes into the brain. And the reason he had lost his vision was because the cancer had kind of eaten up everything on the optic nerve so much so that his vision was gone. Okay. And, and again, by the grace of God, because had he not lost his vision, it might've been a while before we realized the extent of where the cancer was going. We then went into, um, I don't know how to describe it kind of high gear. Like, yeah, you're going to, yeah, you're going to have a port. He's going to start, um, tradi- I call it traditional, but systemic chemo uh, next week. Like it was like, we're, this is, you know, now completely different. Um, mm-hmm. And so we went from um, the type of chemo that I explained to you now essentially need to, you need to stay within an hour of Seattle. Right. Mm-hmm. And he can't be home except for um, maybe about once a month for a couple of days and he will lose his hair. He's going to have to fight for his life, mm-hmm. right? Um, at that point, the, the doctors were pretty optimistic, feeling like um, that they would get the cancer, right? And then, so we, you know, I mean, you know, having to tell your kids, mm-hmm. this, is, this is happening. This is what... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is what it's going to look like, but we really don't know. This is what's mm-hmm. going to have to happen. And I, it was harder than anything that I've ever walked in my life. And um, this is no disrespect against the quarantine that we're all going through right now. But essentially, our family was in a quarantine for that time because if, if Jack's even got a cold, it could land him in the emergency room you know, fighting for his life because 
every time he had the systemic chemo, his body, right, would be so beaten down, there'd be no white blood cells, mm -hmm. and he couldn't be, I mean, he could not be out at all, and then if any of us were out and in contact with him, we risked exposing him to to anything, to, or to so many different things, so there, again, there's so many stories kind of during that time. Um, well, and it, let me, let me ask too, you were separated from your family for long periods of time, right? Just you and Jax were in Seattle yeah. and Sam was a couple hours away with the kids and anybody who's experienced anything like that, it is unbelievably hard. Unbelievably. Yeah. You know, we experienced that only a little bit when Calcadon was hospitalized at Seattle Children's and the profound loneliness and responsibility I felt being yeah. there by myself was in the isolation, the isolation, you know? Cause yeah. And sometimes we were in, sometimes too, we couldn't even leave the floor. I mean, right. the room, not even the, the room because, mm -hmm. um, in Jack, certain, whatever was going on in Jack's little body, we couldn't even leave his room. Like mm -hmm. one time he was in isolation for like 10 days mm -hmm. and he couldn't leave that room, like that hospital room. Right. Yeah. So, um, Sam and I tagged off, essentially for other kids, we impose more trauma on them. Yeah. And, <laughs> mm -hmm. and our one little sweet little guy that I called Curious George, kind of what happened during that time is that all of his grief and loss that had stayed under the surface came up. Mm -hmm. And so his healing, his healing from all of that has been a, a long journey because the parent, you know, he, again, his own adoption story, we know some of the details, but we we kept leaving him, yeah. and that's what what had happened with all the moves that he had in his little life before he came mm -hmm. to us. And mm -hmm. um, and he also he didn't get to see his brother being really sick, because if you were under a certain age, if Jax was showing certain symptoms, they could not go into the hospital room. So the only time he would see him was the one or two days a month where he was well before mm -hmm. his white blood cells started going back down. So in his little brain, none of this made sense. Because mm -hmm. right? Jack seemed okay-ish. Yeah, mm -hmm. a couple of days. And I later would have to have, I later had to have a real like, felt really ugly, but conversation like, oh, this is this is what was going on with your brother. You just never got to see it. Mm -hmm. Because he needed to have that be a part of his process of processing through everything that was going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. But the tenderness. Yeah. So it was, it was me and God, Lisa. I mean, mm -hmm. like, honestly, I wish I could say like lots of people came to visit us. They didn't. And this is going to sound bad, but I think people don't know what to do. And, um, I really did feel very, um, isolated mm -hmm. during that time, but, but God met me. I mean, I, and I, you know, people sometimes say that and it sounds like a easy or a simple answer mm. but he really did and he taught me to um believe in miracles during that time because there came a point where the doctors looked us in the eye and said we're gonna have to end chemo and you need to meet with the hospice team because mm -hmm. he's not gonna make it and mm -hmm. so there was different things during that time right there um jack had his last remaining eye surgically removed during that time um, there's so many things that happened during that time. 
really more than anything is that God met us and um, showed himself to us in a newer way. And, you know, when you look at eternity, when you have to cancel, so there was a weekend where the doctor said, I guess pretty early on, and even when Jack was doing inter-artery chemo, you know, I had these experiences with God and I had an experience where I was, this is during the first type of chemo where I remember when I, um, putting Jacks to bed and then just sobbing and praying and asking God to heal my son. And um, I thought I was the type of, I didn't realize the type of healing I was asking for. Right. Because at that point, his cancer still seemed pretty mild and there was not even a consideration that he would ever lose his vision. And I heard God clearly say, I, I'm going to heal him. Like, don't you worry about it. I'm going to heal him. And from that moment on, I started praying for an excessive medical miracle with no expectation that that was literally what we would need. Mm-hmm. And so that weekend where um, the doctors came to us and said, he's not going to make it. And I, in my spirit was, I just was like, no. And, and um, I really was like, this is not what God has told me. And so I was like, I need the head of oncology to come tell me. I'm not going to believe you unless you send in the head of oncology. So he came in. <laughs> he came in a couple. And we had met him before, but he came in a couple hours later and told us the same thing. And I, I said no. We are because he was Jax was scheduled to start chemo the following week, and I was like no. Mm-mm. And so what they did was like okay. (laughs) I was like, if we ever get to that point, we will do it. But I do not feel like the point is now. They said, okay, well, on Monday, we'll do another MRI. So they had done a spinal tap and the spinal tap had shown what spinal taps do is they, they, um, and he had them weekly. He had weekly spinal taps, spinal taps, right? They show that, that there's cells that have gone outside, um, down the spine, which then means that it's traveled through the brain, right? And so for them, it was like, we'll do the MRI. Then, then probably thinking they would give us more evidence because um, spinal taps are early detection, which is why they do them. And God, both to both Sam and I said, better things are yet to come. And we really held on to that and didn't know, you know, what that would look like. So on Monday, we had the MRI and you know, you can get MRI results scheduled quickly. You can get results back real quick. And so um, the doctor, there was one doctor, and this was the only time I ever, and she's a good doctor. This is not a knock on her, but this is the only time I saw her smile was when she came in and told us there's no cancer in his brain. Oh, wow. (laughs) There's no cancer in his brain. So we continued um, chemo and long, long, long. Um, There's a lot of things that could be said. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I could write a whole book just about Jax's story and maybe one day I will. There's just Mm -hmm. so much, right, that happened. But the other really um, cool thing about that time is that in terms of our like tangible needs, like you think about um, expenses, right? I mean, you can imagine even Mm -hmm. things and insurance doesn't cover or whatnot. God brought these people that rallied around us. And I feel like he excessively blessed us and took Mm -hmm. care of that, of our needs. And we didn't have to do anything. So there was our friends um, that started like a a fundraising and it, it was crazy the amount of money that they raised for us. And we had nothing to do with it. There was people that came and did our laundry. 
I don't think I cooked a meal for like eight, 10 months. Like all to say, Lisa, is that during our, that time, God used so many different people to take excessively bless us and take care of our needs. They were people we knew and they were complete strangers, right? They were people that um, from our church, our, our pastor there at North County. And then they, again, people we didn't know. And it just blows my mind to this day of the way that God um, stirred people's heart and hearts in the way that they so tangibly took care of us. And um, thousands of people prayed for Jack's right? Mm -hmm. Somehow, like, honestly, across the globe, not just where we lived. And his story caught the attention of a lot of different people. And I really, truly believe that God used um, the prayers of many people to do the the many miracles that he did in Jax's life. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, and, you know, again, so many things that we could say, but Jax now, it, those of you who are uh, kind of wondering, he is six. Him and Julia both are in finishing first grade, and um, we since have moved to a new state, which is another whole long story, but all to say that Jax is thriving. He can read and write and braille. He is one of the, you know, I have eight other jewels. He's one incredibly intelligent, articulate, gifted little guy. And there's no way to explain his life except to say that there's God just, this is going to sound bad, but God maybe put a little extra anointing on him. Mm -hmm. Certainly, (laughs) certainly has protected his life because the amount of trauma that he's gone through is, you know, medical trauma alone. And then uh, adoption trauma, his story, um, his orphanage in China was incredible, right? They always told us we took him to the best hospital they did. They flew him all the way to Beijing from like many provinces over. Yeah, they told us we took him to the best hospital possible. And we really truly believe he did. Like God had to have used nurses in China that nurtured him. There's just no other explanation. And um, the orphanage director, it was a smaller orphanage compared to some of other kids. It, there was a like hundred kids there and he clearly cared about Jack's and we can mm-hmm. see that in his life. Right. And so mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, that we're in, so we're doing, uh, we've gone from, every, you know, you go from every month test, every two months, every six months is, is where we're at, where they're checking Jack's brain for cancer. Um, the last MRI showed that it had a cyst in his brain which was unexpected for all of us, but it's the kind of thing where they say, we don't know what this is going to do. It could do nothing. Like we know of the way that cysts operate. Um, It's so small right now. They can't, they don't know. And so in May um, there's, he's scheduled to go in for another MRI where they'll see what has happened. We're asking people to pray with expectation that God will, God will heal him. We know and believe that God can do that. And so that's our prayer is that another excessive medical miracle that we have that MRI and the doctors say, Oh my gosh, I don't know what happened, but it's, it's gone. The cyst is gone. And so um, I think, I don't know if I'm, if I, I don't think I said this, but Jax is riding a bike I love the videos of him (laughs) riding his bike. It's so sweet. It's like miraculous. So many steps to that and God's goodness in that. So, I mean, he is, you know, doing really well. And we're definitely at a place as a family 
we're, we feel like we're thriving again. And, and I don't, that doesn't come easy. I don't say that yeah. easily. Um, but we, you know, you know, we moved to Arizona, moved for teenagers to a new state. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that. And so, but I feel like, and we fight, Sam and I fight to, um, to thrive as a family. We fight for that is the, the better way to say it. And so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we're definitely, that's where we are as a family. And it doesn't mean that we're not working really hard for especially a couple of our kids every single day. Um, mm-hmm. And we probably will <laughs> we're into adulthood, you know, and, and yeah. that's okay. And so um, that's the summary version of my story. <laughs> Well, you know what, when you get that book written, everybody will get to hear a whole lot more. So, well, this has been just a wonderful conversation, Maria. I'm so thankful that you would share this time with us and with our listeners. And I will have in the show notes, I'll be sure to um, put Deborah Gray's books. I'll put links for the Refresh Conference. And you have a... um, Instagram account. Is that where you put most of your energy on Instagram? Okay. So we'll have links for your Instagram and anything else so that people can reach out to you or just follow Jax's story and pray for you. So, but well, thank you so much, Maria. It's been a real blessing to talk to you. Thank you. It's been my honor. It's so fun to hear some of Maria's story. I've known her for a couple of years and I actually didn't know like hardly any of that. What I took away from that though is I know for me that I can get all wrapped up in kids who have big behaviors and challenges and get all wrapped up in the next thing, looking, you know, dragging my kids to the next therapy, watching, you know, the next conference, all of these things. And I love how centered Maria is around just prayer and her faith. Um, and just remembering that at the end of the day, God's in control. Um, and I think that keeps us grounded from like kind of flying off with all the ideas and, and having all the big behaviors, I think, kind of run our life. Well, and for me, it's so easy for me to run to fear when things feel like they are just spinning out of control. But when I can remember that God is with me and that he has a plan and a purpose, I can calm myself down, which is really, really important. So for those of you listening who are people of faith, we just want to remind ourselves and you that we do not do this alone and that we don't even really have to be in charge because God has got it. Yeah, I love that. If you would like to learn more about Maria and her family, you can follow her on social media and you can find all her social media things and her book, where you can find her book, all in the show notes of this episode. And you'll find those at theadoptionconnection.com slash 97. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.